Hello and welcome to It's Called Soccer. I'm your host, Jake Landau, joined as always by Tom Godden. And today we're turning the spotlight on the USMNT transfers. And boy, oh boy, do we have a busy summer transfer market to discuss, Tom. Our star-spangled studs are setting sail for new shores, making waves across the globe. And we're here to bring you all the latest updates, confirmations, rumors, and more in today's show. Leading the charge, we have none other than Christian Pulisic, bringing his A-game to AC Milan. An exciting change of pace for him. We'll definitely be digging deep into that one. And did you hear that trumpet sound? That's right, Timothy Weah is making his royal entrance at Juventus. Meanwhile, Brendan Aronson, the pride of Pennsylvania, has made a grand debut at Union Berlin, netting a goal in a friendly that might just hint at what's to come this season for the older Aronson brother. And staying in the Eredivisie, Ricardo Pepe has opted to stand firm with PSV, and we'll explore why that might be his smartest move yet. And don't think we've forgotten about those stateside stars making their first moves abroad, Joshua Winder to Benfica, Justin Che is on his way to Bronby in Denmark, and George Bello to LASK in Austria, all vying to make their marks in the European arena. Then we'll cover the most up-to-date rumors on Balogun, Musa, McKenney, Adams, Tillman, and Booth, all with various possible destinations that could shape the U.S. men's national team landscape in exciting ways speeding towards that 2024 Copa America. And finally, we will tip our hats to Anthony Robinson, who's just re-signed his contract with Fulham, and Serginho Dest, who is holding down the Ford at Barcelona, trying to win his place. We'll cover those non-moves and what they mean for Jedi and Serginho. Before we do get the ball rolling and dissect these transfers, starting with Pulisic's move to AC Milan, we got to check in with Tom. Tom, what's up? Not much, just hanging out here, enjoying a summer in Pennsylvania. Uh, we've been doing open house nights at our uh, department, doing some astronomy talks and observ- observing uh, every night this week, so I'm kind of tired. Uh, one more night tonight. Uh, but yeah, just living life, having a great summer. How's life going, Jake? It's great. We moved into a new house recently, so as you can see behind me, I'm finally getting like the little studio up to date, and um, also a new kitten is here with also with my five month old son now. So a lot going on, but uh, yeah, we've just been enjoying the time and I will have in time, some very exciting news to share probably in the next two weeks with this crowd that's listening to it's called soccer. You will not want to miss that. So if you are not subscribed yet, make sure you're subscribed to the channel, drop your comments down below as well throughout this entire episode. As we talk through all of these players, this is going to be a banger. I think I'm excited to talk and dive dive deep into all these players. Um, The U.S. Women's National Team also gets their World Cup started next Friday, so we will have to have a separate episode on that. You'll see that on the the podcast list in the next few days. So, yeah, man, a lot going on. A lot to talk about. All right, let's get started then. Christian Pulisic to AC Milan. Um, he'll he'll start with a summer tour in the U.S., so you will have a chance to see him. They'll be playing in the Rose Bowl as well. They'll take on Barcelona and a few other assorted teams from Europe. Um, Tom, we knew Pulisic had to get out of Chelsea. It was starting to become not only a toxic situation between him and the fans, but uh, it didn't seem like he was going to be fitting into any of those spots that were held by Sterling, Modric, they even moved other players out that could potentially be in his his place. But Pulisic, in the end, chose a team that seems like they have a coach that really wants him, that he's going to be in their starting 11 and their plans for the season. So what do you think about this move from Pulisic to AC Milan? Honestly, I'm so excited about it. It could not be a better fit, I don't think. It seems like he fits in well to the culture. It seems like the team is going to use him in a variety of creative ways. I'm just happy to see him happy again. It always seemed like he was kind of miserable the last 18 months or so at Chelsea. And, you know, his introduction, he's like smiling and happy. And the videos of him and his first training, he's cooking down the left side. And it's just great to see. Um, I I don't think that it could be a better situation for him to have landed in. So, yeah, happy to see him get the move done. It was even more apparent when you kind of like took – the situation with him at Chelsea and then whenever he was with the U.S. national team and just kind of the happiness and joy that you could see he was capable of, but it wasn't coming out at Chelsea. Um, A big question for him moving to Milan is going to be about the other left winger, Rafael Leao, who's kind of the the hottest prospect on that left side. He's wanted by huge clubs, but it does look like he's going to be staying 
um, with AC Milan for the time being. He was seen training with uh, Declan Rice, who was just announced for West Ham over the summer. So do you think Pulisic is here to play on the right wing? Uh, We've also heard that Pioli, the manager for AC Milan, maybe thinks of Pulisic as a number 10, and they do play in a 4-2-3-1. So what do you think about Pulisic's chances getting in his preferred left side, or is this just a new start where we can see him on the right side, in the center, wherever he's best? Let's remember that he did used to play on the right side for Dortmund, and he was really good on the right side for Dortmund. So, you know, I would think that if he's not on the left, because Leal will have that spot locked down, then there are a ton of opportunities for him to shine at the 10 or at the uh, right wing position. Leal can't play every single minute of the season. He will need to be rested. He will need to be rotated. There will be games where we get to see Pulisic out on the left too. So, yeah, I think that it might not be him starting on the left every single game, but it could be that he ends up playing a ton of minutes just all across that band of three. And, you know, if the U.S. is moving towards that four-two-three-one as well, I don't think that's a bad thing for us to get Pulisic minutes basically everywhere across a band of three and a four-two-three-one. Yeah, I mean, we saw at Nations League with BJ Callahan at the helm what it looked like to have some creative players at the number 10, Gio Reyna feeding Fuller and Balogun, who might come up as well when we're talking about AC Milan and rumors. Um, might seem like they're trying to build the next U.S. Uh, super team. But staying with Pulisic for now, a big knock against him at Chelsea were how many knocks he had and how many games he was perceived as to be out for and injured for. Now, this kind of created a divide between Chelsea fans, USMNT fans, and the opinion of him, of his time at Chelsea. I'll kind of look back at the the restart Pulisic, Project Restart Pulisic is one of the best versions of Christian that we've seen. Aside from his time with the US men's national team, that was kind of the most freeing that I've seen him play on the pitch. Um, will he stay healthy? Like, is he, is it a... Is it a perception that he's injury prone or is it real that he just missed so many games and wasn't able to really get himself into that team consistently enough to make the difference that he wanted to? When was the last time he was actually like truly hurt? Um, it, it's been a long time. I guess maybe right after the World Cup, he took a knock uh, on a play that wasn't even his fault. Um, uh, he you know, kicked a, basically a stationary ball. It was a great challenge on him that hurt his knee, but... Beyond that, he's been healthy pretty much for the last 18 months or so, just sort of been out of favor. Um, We did miss him during World Cup qualifying, and there was, of course, that hamstring injury that kept him out uh, during Project Restart. But I do think that, you know, as players get older, they tend to adjust their body. They tend to figure out how to play without getting hurt. Uh, Those hamstrings aren't growing as fast. They're not going to be, you know, as prone to tearing as quickly. So I think... Hopefully we're on the tail end of the Christian Pulisic injury saga and that we're getting closer and closer to him being healthy all the time. But I think it does remain to be seen whether we're going to see him be able to, you know, get over that injury bug consistently and play big minutes. I'm pretty hopeful for it, though. I I do think that it's sort of overblown and sort of Chelsea's big excuse for not playing him when they just kept buying too many players and not having enough space to play with all of the guys they had bought. Yeah. And speaking of the the injuries and the physicality of the league, Serie A is kind of seen as more of a a tactical version of maybe the Bundesliga, not necessarily as physical as the Premier League. So do you think this move suits him physically or is, again, because injuries aren't actually a problem, it's just a perceived problem that we're kind of overthinking this in terms of Christian? I mean, going to a less physical league is always going to be better. So I, I'm more than happy to see him go to Serie A. And I think that he's got a chance to really cook. We haven't ever seen a lot of Americans play there. So I'm excited to get a chance to see a new league and really learn a lot more about it. Um, and just, you know, watch him cook in a, a league that I do think suits him a little bit better. And I mean, Paramount Plus is maybe going to be getting a boost with that, uh, having Serie A coverage. Uh, again, we're going to talk about Wea next, but it does seem like there's going to be some additional Americans moving over to this league. So it is exciting to see. Uh, Tom, let's finish up here on Pulisic. I'm thinking if he gets you know, 15 goal contributions between goals and assists, that's a solid season. Uh, what are you looking for out of his season? I'm looking for minutes. That's really what I want is a minutes uh, uh, threshold for him to hit for a successful season. And for me, that's 2,000 minutes. I'm not sure if we've ever really seen Pulisic at a 2,000-minute season. I'd have to go back in and check. But 
Um, certainly not since he was at Dortmund, and it would be great to see him get over 2,000 minutes, which I think is roughly 20, 23 games uh, for Milan. So hopefully he's playing consistently. I think if he's playing that many minutes, the goals and assists will come. So we'll see what happens, but I think that that's a pretty realistic target for him. I mean, they have Serie A, they have Champions League football, they have Coppa Italia. So it's very realistic that he'll he'll be getting that 2,000 minutes if he can stay healthy, which again is one of the biggest questions coming in for Pulisic. So Tom, I'm going to assume then this is a good move, a thumbs up move for you on Pulisic to AC Milan? Oh yeah, huge thumbs up. Probably one of our biggest, uh, best transfers we've had this summer so far. We've had some good ones, as we'll talk about. Yes, staying across the front three and in Serie A, Timothy Weah makes a move from Lille to Juventus. Pretty surprising move, actually, for maybe people that weren't in the know. Juventus have been Italian giants, but they've kind of fallen off in recent years. Weah at Lille was almost in between uh, positions, playing sometimes on the right wing, sometimes as left back last season, (laughs) just trying to get minutes wherever he could. Uh, this seems like a move that is for him to replace Juan Cuadrado, who primarily played as a right wing back in a back three system, back five system. So, Tom, talk to me about your thoughts on Wea to Juventus. Are we as high and positive on this move as we are of Pulisic to AC Milan? I think I'm actually higher on this move than I was on Pulisic to AC Milan. Um, I can't think of a more perfect landing spot for Wea. He moves to a league that's a little bit more difficult in quality. He moves to a giant of Italian soccer. He moves to a team that is uh, basically looking for a like-for-like replacement where he becomes basically a locked-in starter and in a position that I think he's going to thrive in. You know, Juventus has never really had a typical winger situation, so he will be able to get up the field and get wide, and Quadrado has always you know, thrived in attacking spaces for Juventus when we watched them play. Um, as U.S. fans, we're kind of familiar with Juventus at this point because of McKenney. And Quadrado has always been awesome in that right midfield, right wing back, right back spot that he's played for them. And it seems like Weah just naturally slots into exactly that spot, gets to get high up the field and just cook down that right side of their attack. In a weird way, and kind of thinking through the theme of everything happens for a reason, Weah playing left back last season for Lille probably had something to do with the, the amount that he was looked at and, and what the reason was that he came over to Juventus because he hadn't really played in a defensive position before that, uh, at least formally with his club team. So for Juventus, you get a player that is very close in the actual profile of Juan Cuadrado, someone that is speedy, someone that is technically savvy, someone that has very quick feet and is skillful, can beat a man on the dribble. But I think having him at left back for Lille last season for a few matches at least showed that he could be that defensive stability for the team. Um, so I know when when he was playing left back for Juventus, we did talk, or left back for Lille, we did talk about those matches, I remember, after they happened, just thinking about, yeah, okay, it's great that he's getting playing time, but it's not his preferred position on the right wing. Um, so why, why then can we be excited about him playing in a more defensive position for Juventus? I feel like it's just the profile of, Juventus is a little bit different than the profile of Lille. I don't really think of Lille as a team that's using their attacking fullbacks to really create a lot of offense, but I do think of Juventus, especially under Allegri, as a team that really likes to use their fullbacks to get forward and create overloads and really play the ball wide and get it into the box. So I think that it's just sort of the profile of the team is a lot better suited to what Way likes to do from that fullback position than Lille was. So that's sort of the main reason. But also there's some element to the fact that if you go through a full season in a top five league in Europe without a goal contribution in the front three, possibly you don't have an option except to move back a line. And if he's going to move back a line, why not go to Juventus and see if he can do it there? That seems like the most exciting of the options where he could be forced to move back a line that are out there right now. Yeah. I mean, especially with someone like Jonathan David leading the line at Lille uh, to not have any of that last season. But to be fair, he had great production for the U.S. when he was at the national team, scored our first goal in the World Cup as well with a really nice finish. So again, Wea, does he get a thumbs up for his move to Juve? Absolutely. Huge thumbs up for this move. (laughs) 
Cool. All right. We're staying in the top five for now. We're moving over to Germany now. Brendan Aronson has a one-year loan at Union Berlin. Uh, he's going to join Jordan Pifok there. They have Champions League football as well this season. Uh, also started and uh, got a goal in his friendly debut for them today. So Brendan Aronson seems like he just needed to move out of Leeds to get something going. Uh, we'll talk about Tyler Adams later and Weston McKinney later. They are yet to make comp- confirmed moves in the transfer market. Aronson is that first Leeds American to get out, and he gets a goal immediately. So what are you thinking about Aronson's move? I'm excited to see him in the Bundesliga. I think that's a league that really fits him in his style and gives him another year to develop physically if he needs to and if he wants to move back to the Premier League in England. So what are you thinking of this move, Tom? I'm excited about this one because it's a team that has an actual offensive identity, which is something we could never say about Leeds last season. You know, even under Marsh, it was sort of chaos ball defensively, high press, and then, you know, hope that something good happens on the other end of the field. Berlin plays a very specific counterattacking style that I think really suits what Brendan Aronson can do well. So I do think that this is a move that he can thrive in. Again, you know, this has been the theme so far of players making moves to clubs with systems that really seem to fit their playing style. And, you know, a Bundesliga club that plays a counterattacking style, likes to go get up the field in a hurry, really does seem to fit the annoying personality of the, or the annoying play style that Brendan Aronson <laughs> likes to play with. He's just, he's going to be a pest. He's going to get that ball. He's going to drive forward and he's going to make good things happen. You mentioned something about matching the playing identity for that player. And, We'll talk about Ricardo Pepe next and him staying in there at Divise where he was really successful with Groningen last season and he'll move to a much better team with PSV. Do you feel like the American players now are being more thoughtful this transfer window about the teams that they're matching with and the teams that they're going to? I think so. I think this is sort of a natural progression of the pool. As they're starting to mature a little bit, they're starting to make mature, more mature moves to teams that I think are better suited to them. They're not just sort of accepting the first offer that comes in. They're looking at, you know, finding fits that will actually see them play and play meaningful minutes. I mean, we look at what happened last season. There were just horrible, horrible club seasons all over Europe, especially after the World Cup. I think they basically had to sort of reassess and see what that strategy was and see if there wasn't maybe a better... Uh, way to evaluate what transfers they're making going forward. And so far, the guys who've made the moves have made the right moves. Yeah. I know the goal is going to get us excited, and the league match for Aronson seems like a really good one. His younger brother, who we won't talk about in this transfer episode, got four goals for his Frankfurt (laughs) squad today. So it seems like the Aronson brothers are going to enjoy their their soccer in Germany this season. Um, Tom, Aronson was the one American player that we thought could potentially gain from having a, a season in the championship in England. What does he miss now having this one year loan in the Bundesliga instead of getting that experience in the championship? I think that he misses a bit of physicality. So, um, you know, we think about the championship, it's a beat you down. It's a, you know, horrifically physical league that basically that's the most important thing that matters to you. And we saw all season last year in the Premier League that Brendan Aronson was just getting bullied off the ball and consistently knocked down and consistently getting fouled and not able to do anything when he got the ball in the middle of the field. And I thought that a year in the championship where he was forced to really work on that physicality to succeed would have been really, really good for him. So, you know, he's moving to a better league, but he's also, I think he's taking a step down in physicality to a level that suits his physicality a little bit more instead of trying to rise to the physicality of one of the most physical leagues in the world. So, I, you know, at some level I understand that. I think he'll be successful, but I would have liked to see him work on that side of his game, work on not getting knocked off the ball as easily because that would have really helped him take a level, take the next step up, take, rise to the level that he needs to be at. It's not something that's impossible, though, to do in the yeah. Bundesliga. And in the Champions League, they are going to be incredibly intense matches as well. I expect Brendan Aronson to get a lot of match time, uh, especially just with his record of being such a dogged defender, someone that has stamina and an engine to run so much uh, that you mm. get tired just watching him on television. And I feel like he's the type of player that always comes across as someone that is a, a coach favorite, someone that's always going to give their all, always going to try as, as much as possible in practices to get into that starting 11 and get game time. He, you really have a hard time keeping him off the pitch if you're a coach. So 
I'm not too worried about his playing time. I hope, like you say, it's a good fit for his style. Uh, they are a great counterattacking team. That's kind of how they got into the Champions League spots in Bundesliga. If, if you recall some episodes, we were kind of talking halfway through the season with Berlin leading the league. They were in first place for the first, what, like 40% of the Bundesliga season. So this is not a, a pushover team that we're talking about. I will point out, though, that we were talking about them in the context of being the luckiest team in any top five league in Europe. Uh, <laughs> we, were, we were. They were. They Bring were us back down to earth. <laughs> well over their expected goals, and it seemed like that could was not sustainable. We also talked about them a lot in the context of Jordan Pifak, who's also there right now. And I think that if I remember those conversations, this is a lot more positive of a conversation than it was back when we were talking about Pifak. I think this suits Brendan a lot better than it suited Pifak who you know, got that hot start but couldn't really continue it, and I don't think he fits the system quite as well as Brendan does. Yeah, speaking of overperforming XG, that was it wasn't just Berlin that we were talking about. It was Jordan Pifa coming out man on fire at the beginning of the Bundesliga season and uh, really cooled off, got back to his mean, like we always say, it always returns to the mean. Uh, and if you don't, you're a, a robot like Erling Holland or Kylian Mbappe. But yeah, Ricardo Jordan Pifak fell back to earth. <laughs> Ricardo Pepe. There we go. Um, all right. Before we talk about Ricardo Pepe, another thumbs up transfer for Aronson? Oh, absolutely. Great cool. transfer for Brendan Aronson. All right. Let's move over to PSV. Ricardo Pepe is going to move. So he was on loan from Augsburg to Groningen last season. Groningen uh, was relegated from the Eredivisie in the Netherlands. Ricardo Pepe was their player of the season and leading goal scorer. He was sold by Augsburg to PSV. Uh, so he will be back in the Eredivisie for one of the three best teams in the Dutch league. He scores also today as well in his debut for the squad in friendlies. I, I have to assume uh, with the smile on your face that you are also happy about this move for Ricardo Pepe. I mean, he gets to stay in the same league where he just did destroyed the league next last year but he gets a team that actually is competent at giving him service and giving him touches on the ball in the final third and i just can't help but think that you know moving from a relegation team to a championship contender in the same league where you just destroyed everyone last year despite basically never seeing the ball at your feet is gonna do good things for him so i am incredibly optimistic that peppy is just gonna thrive at psv this season i'm sure Pepe is excited about joining PSV and staying in a league where he he destroyed. But I have to feel like PSV feels pretty good about this move as well. <laughs> Getting someone that was at statistically and because they were relegated, I can say this objectively one of the worst teams in the league last season. And you're getting a player that, that scored double-digit goals that kind of made things happen with very little service and you surround him with incredibly talented and technical players. PSV has to be really happy about this. As well, they have uh, Luke de Jong, who is a much older, very well-respected striker, but he's not going to be able to get you know, the 2,000, 2,500 minutes that we're talking about for these players. He's going to need his rest. And if Pepe comes out hot or he shows in practice, shows in these friendlies, uh, I could see a scenario where Pepe and de Jong are really starting to fight for that first spot in the number nine position. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, did you watch much Groningen last year? I don't know how many matches you watched of them. Not much. I think I watched three, and holy cow, they were some of the most painful things I've ever watched. They were so, so bad at ever getting the ball to Ricardo Pepe's feet. I have no idea still how he managed to score as many goals as he did, because he would just sit there for like 70 minutes and never get a touch on the ball. And then the one touch he gets, he just sort of makes magic happen. So I just can't help but think that a team who's going to actually feed him is going to just you know, help him so much to go to reach even higher heights than he did. Of course, this is still the Netherlands. You have to keep a a little bit of a grounding on this because we have seen other American strikers who have gone crazy in the Netherlands and have never scored again in their entire career in Europe. (laughs) Josie! Josie being the most notable of those examples. So, you know, there is a little bit of like we need to be measured, especially if he has like a 25-goal season. But at the same time, it would be awesome to see him just destroy the Netherlands, be in the golden boot contention, uh, fight for De Jong to get that starting position. There's just a lot of good possibilities from this move, especially he's going to get some Champions League minutes now out of it too. 
Yeah. Uh, for Ricardo Pepe, moving on from a failed move to Augsburg, but making the best of it. Um, what do you think for him in terms of minutes and goal contributions? You know, I think that 2,000-minute mark is sort of my like benchmark for a successful season for anyone in Europe right now. Uh, in a situation where he's competing for minutes with De Jong, then maybe 1,500 would be sort of the acceptable floor for what we think of in terms of minutes. I do think that you're looking for 15-plus goal contributions, though, for him. Yeah. I'm glad that Josie Altidore had his, I think he scored 28 goals for Alkmaar in one season, plus the cup competitions. I'm glad that happened because whatever happens now with Ricardo Pepe, <laughs> unless he scores, I don't know, 45-50, we can kind of bring him back down to earth. Uh, but yeah. still definitely in the top three prospects for the U.S. in that number nine position. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. All right. So we're giving a thumbs up to Pepe and PSV. Thumbs yes, up. thumbs up five for, for sure. Five so far. <laughs> All right. Or four for four. Four for four, yeah. All right, Josh, Joshua Winder making a big move from USL Championship in uh, the U.S. to Benfica in the Portugal Liga Nos. Um, we saw him in the U20 World Cup where he kind of came out a little flat, but had a good tournament in the last few matches. We we thought that this was a confirmed move. He had this weird uh, conversation with Herc Gomez where he kind of denied <laughs> that he was going to Benfica. And then a few days after the, the World Cup ended, he, he made the move to Benfica. So is he being brought in to have those 2,000 minutes? Winder did not look like someone to me from from the eye test, at least at the U20 World Cup, that he was ready to take on Liga Nos and being at one of the best teams in Portugal. Um, he seemed more of like a bench development option. And that's totally fine because he is, I think he's 18 at the moment. So mm-hmm. what do you think of Winder's move to Benfica? You know, he was playing up a level at the U20 World Cup, and I think it definitely showed um, that he was playing up an age group. Um, I do think there's a lot of talent there. He's a big physical center back, and he's going to one of the best center back development teams in all of Europe. I mean, they, what, they just sold a center back to Manchester City for eight figures plus um, in their last move. So a uh, huge, huge deal to go to Benfica. I don't think he's a starter, but I do think that he is – going to really succeed in the long term there. It's a great place to develop. It's a great place to really take that next step. And hopefully in a few years, he's fighting for a starting spot with them. It is nice that we have some history now to relatively look at the these transfers. I talked about Josie Altador a few minutes ago. We can also all remember Keaton Parks at Benfica. We hyped this guy up. He was going to be the next big thing in Europe for Americans Dropped down to Benfica B, couldn't really get into that team. Went to New York City FC. He's he's going to be potentially a fringe option for the U.S. Men's National Team because of his play at NYCFC this season. Uh, but Keaton Parks is kind of a story that makes us pause just a little bit thinking about Americans at Benfica and that history. So do you feel better about this move that Winder is coming from USL? He's shown his, his abilities outside of the Benfica academy and now he's coming as an outsider do you feel better about that than when keaton parks was kind of coming up through the academy and then couldn't break into that first team yeah i always sort of feel better about these guys who make these sort of transfer moves to teams like this instead of players who are sort of brought up through the system it's just so hard to sort of predict what happens to an academy player like it's just sort of roll a die die and like sometimes they hit sometimes they don't it's it's complete crapshoot um, a guy who has shown it in USL Championship consistently, who has played for the US at a U20 World Cup, that's a guy who we know has some like huge talent and could be one of our best center back prospects down the road. So, yeah, I think that there's a lot more uh, hype that's going to go with him and a lot more uh, evidence that he can be successful there than you get out of an academy player coming up through the system. You mentioned USL sales were, were kind of a year out from Jonathan Gomez. Uh, going to Sociedad. We now have Winder going to Benfica. I mean, these are not small transfer fees for the second division, uh, not even the the top division in the U.S. The Gomez fee was. (laughs) True. Well, that was was a mistake on the administration of of Louisville. Um, But yeah, Winder's transfer, we know that Uh 
there are some other players in USL that are being scouted for big teams and big leagues. Um, Tom, as someone that is a fan of, of some lower league squads in the U.S., is this a turning point or are these kind of just teams from Europe trying to hit big with small fees relative to their other transfers? I mean, this is a huge deal for USL. I mean, if they're looking to compete with MLS and their academies to really, really start to grow, this is the type of thing you need to have. And looking at the reporting, this is a $1.2 million fee uh, plus a 20% sell-on. It's a seven-figure fee for an academy player out of Louisville. That's a huge, huge fee for a USL team. That probably pays their operating costs for quite a while. Um, They don't have as high of... Uh, operating costs as MLS teams, this money is very, very valuable to them. And we've seen this a few times now. I mean, Kobe Henry left last year, went to Europe. He's a, so I think in the second division of France now, he left Orange County for a pretty big fee. We saw Jonathan Gomez go. He would have gone for a huge fee if Louisville had not completely destroyed their finances for a year. <laughs> um, we, we're seeing this happen more and more, and it only is going to grow USL in the long term, which I feel like announcements are coming out more and more that they're really looking to become competitive in that international market and in that uh, make that second division of the U.S. sort of a global brand, Um, as weird as that is to say. But um, yeah, so USL is going to start becoming more aggressive with these things, I think. And I think that the homegrown situations of certain players in the MLS are going to push people to look towards the USL. You have players who end up on homegrown contracts and never can seem to get a minute. Diego Luna for a while. You, the Philly kids like Paxson Aronson, who were just sort of stuck in these contracts and couldn't get to Europe as fast as they wanted because they couldn't get on the field in MLS. So go to USL, tear it up for a year, and then leave as soon as you're ready. Yeah. All right. As an aside, I do want to ask you about the USL has an upcoming vote for a promotion relegation. Give me your 60-second do. You, do you think this will happen, and are you hoping for an outcome? It's going to happen. I think that they will vote for it. I think that it is an uphill battle for it to be financially viable or in any way successful in the ma- method that they are promoting. Um, so cool. they are thinking for, yeah, we could go a whole episode on lower league soccer <laughs> right. and everything. It's an so, aside. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, um, it's an exciting development that has a long way to go to be successful. Yep. All right. What are we thinking? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs middle, Joshua yeah, Winder to Benfica. Like, uh, it's thumbs middle with a high upside. Cool. Sounds good. <laughs> Justin Shea, the uh, FC Dallas Academy player, couldn't quite hit it at Hoffenheim on his loan. He is being sold and transferred to Bronby in the Danish Superliga, one of the more well-known teams uh, aside from FC Michelin. Ronby is one of those teams that you always see kind of in the Champions League, Europa League playoffs, all of those. So what do you think of this move? Justin Shea, the center back slash right back to the Danish Superliga. I'm always sort of skeptical of moves to uh, the Danish League or the Swedish League or the Norwegian League. or There's a bunch, a bunch of these sort of uh, moves to Scandinavian leagues, and they're very, very hit or miss. I mean, Haji Wright? was successful in uh, his move to Denmark, but Christian Cappy moved and never really managed to hit. And you had players, uh, I'm trying to think of others who've been uh, there. And uh, Jose Gallegos made a move recently to Michelin and never really took off there. There just sort of seems to be... Yeah, there's just, you know, you could go down this list of like USMNT sicko prospects who were in these leagues and just never really took off. And so Jonathan Amon. Yeah. um, We're doing throwbacks now. Yeah, we're doing some really, really big throwbacks here. And yeah, you get these hype for these players. And if they end up in these leagues, it's really, really a hit or miss as to whether or not they're going to be successful. If he's going to be successful, he needs to get a move out of there within a year or two. I think that's sort of the clock is ticking now. If he's going to go to Bronby, he needs to be looking for a sale to a bigger league in the next 18 months. So Shea was an interesting one with Hoffenheim, right? It, it always seemed like when he was actually on the pitch, he was totally fine. He looked like he was up to the speed and the ability of the league. He was never at fault for any huge mistakes or anything but he just couldn't really break into the team the same way that Chris Richards kind of became a stalwart in that 
in that lineup. So what do you think Shade, like, was it just the lineup was too strong to get into? Um, is this a move where you, where you're kind of thinking like you need to sh- absolutely destroy people for 18 months and you can kind of get back in the good graces of the rest of Europe. Yeah, I kind of think that he needs to really be a standout player. He needs to be one of their best players on the field starting every single game for me. I think there's some sort of questions with Che as to what his best position is, where he sort of fits in the field, and um, does he have the mental... Uh, does he have the ability to avoid mental lapses that I think we saw come out at the U20 World Cup where he would look really, really good and then you make a really bad play that sort of cost the U.S. a goal or put us in a really bad spot. So... The physical tools are all there. It's just the decision-making and the questions about whether he's a right-back or whether he's a center-back or does he need to be in a back three. I, I think that there's still a lot in the air about like where he projects on the field and what his strong suits are as a player. Yeah. I mean, for him, I'm feeling a little bit more of a mid to low thumbs down yeah. for this move. Yeah, I, I think that I kind of agree. This is sort of a disappointing move for him. Yeah. All right, George Bello is next. Tom, I'm going to lean on you for this. He is someone that uh, got transferred to the Bundesliga, the top Bundesliga, and was about to, if not transferred now, would have been dropped down into the three Bundesliga for next season. He makes a move to LASK in Austria. LASK, for anyone that doesn't know, is kind of the main rivals for RB uh, Salzburg. They're kind of the second or third best team in Austria in almost every season. So not a horrible team, but Austria is not the strongest competition. We saw that with Brendan Aronson as well at Salzburg, many other Americans at Salzburg for that matter. So Tom, George Bello, Atlanta United legend. He's a guy that, you know, when I watched him play at Atlanta, I never thought that he was as bad as he's looked in Europe so far. I've always thought there was a much higher upside to him than we were ever seeing when he was at Bielefeld. So I think that he just really needs a stable club situation that's going to be a little bit more favorable to really you know, get his career back on track. Even for the U.S., he was never great, but he was never as bad as he's been these last two seasons. He couldn't even get on the field in the two Bundesliga this last season. I think he's a better player than that. So I just... I think that this is a good, just a good move to get a reset on his career and just find a club that's a little bit better suited for him. I think this is an example of Atlanta United just making a transfer happen to anyone and not really picking out the best move for the player. And I think that that has been sort of the big downside to Atlanta's sell strategy is that they tend to sell fast to teams that are not setting their players up for success afterwards. So, yeah. It's it's hard to really know what to make of this move beyond he's got he had to get out, but also the most amusing part of this to me is the bit of business that is done here where he had a double relegation clause in his contract, which is <laughs> spectacular. There's no way that anyone ever thought that, that would have to be activated. So you know, props to him for putting that in there. And I I just want to know what foresight. happened behind the scenes where someone was just sort of willing to put that in there like, sure, it's never going to happen. We're never going to get double relegated in two straight seasons. When when I think of thoughtful transfers of, you know, Pulisic, Timothy Weah, Ricardo Pepe, and, and what we're talking about there, George Bello is kind of the, the person that I think about uh, from two, three years back of transfers that just, they seemed okay because of the level that they were going to. Like, a relegation battling club in the Bundesliga was probably George Bellow's level at the time that he transferred. Yeah. But how, how far the mighty have fallen <laughs> because he doesn't fit with this squad and can't get into the squad. So is, is the thoughtfulness then back with George Bellow? Is it thoughtful that, okay, Austria is absolutely a step down from the Bundesliga, maybe level with like the three, two Bundesliga, um, he might have a fresh start to get into the starting lineup. He's going to a one of the better teams in Austria. They'll be fighting for the top. So I know this is not like what we wanted for George Bello, but are there like some positive optimistic pieces to this that we're not going to focus on just because of the story surrounding the double relegation? Oh yeah, no, it was, it was clear from like halfway through the first season of the Bundesliga that he needed to get out of there. I mean, there was there was really just no doubt about it. I guess he made it halfway. He made the transfer halfway through the season. So, um, 
but it's been clear for a while that Bellow didn't fit with that squad and just needed to get out. And, you know, going down a level to a team who hopefully is going to play him is just perfect for him. I don't, I, I still think there's an upset side there. I think that this is still a player that can really contribute. Um, and it's a position of need for the U.S. So, you know, it's still a name to watch and see what happens going forward. So hopefully this helps write the career because I think that he needs it pretty heavily right now. Might not be a position of need after Dewan Jones's Gold Cup performance and him setting the, his sights on that left back backup for Anthony Robinson. Uh, Tom, before we move to the rumors, do you have a feel on gut feel? Tell me who out of the confirmed transfers we just talked about is going to have uh, going to look the best at the end of the season from the transfer that they made. Who made the smartest move? My my money's on Tim Way going to Juventus. I think that's just sort of perfect match of player and team, and he's going to look great. Awesome. Yeah, I think out of out of all of them, Wea and Pulisic have uh, one of the best moves ahead of them. I can't wait to see what they do this season. All right, rumors. Our new number nine, the greatest striker that the U.S. has ever produced, Valarin Balogun. He is uh, he got some time with Arsenal, so maybe we should talk about Arsenal as an option for him to stay. He is competing with Eddie Nketiah for that second spot behind Gabriel Jesus. Um, also rumored was AC Milan, Chelsea, and RB Leipzig after his services, but it has come out today uh, from confer- or not confirmed, but good sources that Inter Milan is leading the chase for Folar and Balogun if they are not able to get Romelu Lukaku back. So Tom, talk to me about Balogun's options and maybe specifically Inter, what would that look like? I mean, a team that just made the Champions League final, would that be exciting for Balogun and a good team to go to? That's a great team to go to. I think also if you're looking at him as a player who's going to play off of Lautaro Martinez, you're looking at a two-striker system potentially. I think Balogun really does fit well in a two-striker system. His play style of sort of being a guy who can pop up in good areas and score sort of lends itself to being one of two options at the top of the box. So, yeah, I think that that would need a really good option for him. Arsenal set a huge price tag on him, and someone's going to meet it, I think. You don't score 21 goals in France and not get a huge price tag at that age. So, yeah, it's just a matter of where he's going to go and what that looks like. I think a team like uh, Inter that's going to let him be that second striker is a really good move for him. Yeah, I think Inter would be a great move for Balogun. I agree with you, and I'm surprised that nobody in the English Premier League have taken him yet. I mean, 21 goals, he's 21 years old, and he has his English citizenship, so it counts as a homegrown. I know we talk so much shit about MLS and their weird, wacky rules, but the fact of the matter is almost every league has some domestic rule about homegrown players or EU players. Balogun, because of that, should be way more valuable to a team like Crystal Palace or even Chelsea. Like if, if they really want to take a risk on a number nine, I don't think any Americans are saying that they want uh, Balogun at Chelsea right now. But <laughs> I, I am surprised that it's taken this long. And I, I think what's happening behind the scenes is that Arteta is giving him a chance to win that second spot. Balogun has given, has gone on the record and talked about him wanting to be the starter. But I mean, Arsenal was chasing the title last season. Gabriel Jesus is somewhat injury prone. He's also not a prolific striker uh, or a prolific scorer, I should say. He's great in the system that Arsenal play. But Balogun could easily compete, I think, with Eddie Nketiah. And if he's allowed to develop in that team, I mean, Arsenal could be a really fun watch for American fans if Balogun does get that time. So where are you at, Tom, with just him staying versus leaving right now? I just want to get playing time. I'm not really sure I care where he gets that playing time. I just want him to get the playing time. So, you know, any team, preferably in a top five league, uh, that is going to buy him and make him either a starter or a first option off the bench is sort of good for me. It could be Arsenal. It could be Inter. It could be someone who just sort of swoops out of nowhere and snaps him up, and I think that would be completely fine with me. Um, I just want our strikers playing and scoring goals. That's like bare minimum (laughs) what we need right now after last season. 
There is a world where Balogun stays with Arsenal, doesn't get a ton of playing time, and Ricardo Pepe shreds the Eredivisie, and we start having these conversations when we come back to the national team. So I'm with you, but I just do think there is some upside. He's still very young. Yeah. Uh, if, he, if he is a backup for Gabriel Jesus at Arsenal. But Inter, again, leading rumor right now that has just been uh, in the news today as we record. So we'll see how that develops and talk about that further. His friend and agent, Yunus Musa, is next on our rumored list. Uh, someone that had a, a relatively good season with a poor team in La Liga with uh, Villarreal last season. He is rumored for AC Milan, Inter Milan, and Fulham. We'll see these teams come up a lot. And uh, I'm wondering why that is. But really for AC Milan, I think it makes a lot of sense with the midfielders that they currently have, the profile that Musa has as well. Um, Fulham, I could see him being a great addition to the team. Although if they do sell Paulinha, I don't think really that Yunus Musa is that same profile. Uh, Paulinha is like number one on all the tackling interception. He's more of a Tyler Adams than he is a Yunus Musa. So Tom, do you feel like the teams in Serie A or the teams in the Premier League are the better option for Yunus Musa? I feel like I would want to see him in Serie A. I think I'm surprised at the Premier League is not as interested in him as I would expect them to be. But, you know, we talk about a technical league where he can, uh, where Pulisic can cook. Musa is a player who likes to advance the ball in the dribble, who is a really technical player in the midfield. I really want to see him go to a place where he can really just sort of get the ball and advance it up the field and possibly work on, you know, spraying that ball out a little bit more in distribution. I think that's really where he needs to level up his game. I'm not sure the Premier League is the place to do that right now. I think that going to Milan or Inter and getting to work on that part of his game would be huge for him. And as much as we just talked about the citizenship of Fuller and Balogun for England, Yunus Musa has English and Italian citizenship. So Italy also has domestic league rules uh, that benefit teams that want to employ more Italian players. Yunus Musa does fit that as well. So for AC Milan, I think they actually only have one more international or non-EU spot to provide. So Yunus Musa is a great option for that because he won't take that spot away from AC Milan. And I'm, I'm with you. Like the, the speed of play, the thought process, the way that he needs to improve, I feel like that's going to be a little bit easier to do, a little bit more uh, minutes to get in Serie A for Yunus Musa. All right, we will see what happens with that because the the transfer window is uh, you know quickly approaching the last half before teams really get into the rest of the uh, or their start of the season. So we will see what happens here. Let's move to the Leeds boys. Weston McKinney back at Juventus. Juventus deny him, give him the cold shoulder. Must feel pretty bad to be Weston McKinney right now. <laughs> uh, but, but rumored teams currently are Aston Villa, Galatasaray, and Turkey. And Dortmund was also on the line, although I don't know how true that is. So, Tom, what's up with McKinney? Where's he going to end up next season? Hopefully none of these three. I don't really see any of them as a really (laughs) great option. So hopefully someone else comes out of nowhere and snatches him up. You know, I think that uh, Premier League... What's your perfect team for him then? You know, Brighton would be a really great landing spot, but we're going to talk about them with Adams. Uh some mid-table Premier League team. I, I wouldn't mind seeing him go to Fulham, actually. That would probably be a really good spot, a team that would fit him pretty well. Uh, Brentford? Th- Brentford, another team, yeah. I don't think that he fits the sort of analytics model that Brentford likes to build their <laughs> players around. I don't think he's a player who shines in the analytics. Um, so, Should he got, Should he have gone to Burnley? <laughs> Do you remember when that was... Yeah. Kind of, like, Burnley made a... An offer for him, similar to Leeds, but he decided on Leeds and kind of said he didn't want to go to Burnley. I mean, Burnley wouldn't be a bad one either. I'm just sort of looking for a team that's not going to be in a relegation battle is in the Premier League. You know, Dortmund would be okay, but (laughs) Dortmund's kind of a mess right now. Um, I don't see him really fitting into that squad. Uh, He's not going to be a Jude Bellingham replacement. That's sort of what they're really looking to upgrade that squad. Galatasaray would be a step down. Yeah, it's... (sighs) It's just not looking like he's got a great option. I, I kind of w- wonder if he wouldn't be better off making a move back to Germany or trying to find a new team in Italy. Uh, you know, maybe a team like Roma would be a really good landing spot for him. I think he could probably thrive in Mourinho's system pretty well at Roma. So that would be a team, sort of maybe one of the more ideal landing spots. It's just really no, hard to know what to do with him. 
I think he's going to be successful wherever he goes, but I don't really want him fighting for minutes anywhere. I want him to sort of be the guy. And it is a critically important year for Weston McKinney, I think, because if we if we go back to the Nations League, we had a midfield of Weston McKinney, Eunice Moose, and Gio Reyna at the 10. I really feel like Weston McKinney is the player that has the most to lose this season. If if Tyler Adams can stay healthy, if Eunice Musa continues his projection, um, and then we have Gio Reyna or Christian Pulisic potentially playing at the 10 position, and Greg Berhalter decides to play in a 4-2-3-1, it feels like McKinney, if he can't get really on the pitch or have a successful season, he's going to be the odd man out at, when we're kind of looking back at this in 2024. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's going to come down to who is the better passer, I think, of Adams, McKenney, Musa, um, is going to be the one that gets the playing time in that spot. But yeah, I mean, the roster poll right now is basically a coin flip between those three every single time because it really does seem like one of MMA is going to be left out for Gio Reyna in this upcoming cycle. And you got to think that the one who's not getting playing time or the one who sort of takes a step down in their game is going to be the one who drops out of the squad. So especially I think Tyler Adams and Eunice Musa both stand to level up their game pretty dramatically in the next 18 months or so. So yeah, it will be really interesting to watch and see how this develops. And I think like McKenney has to find a good landing spot in this window. Yeah, it's kind of a lesson on how quickly things can change. Like a year is a really long time in soccer. If you make the wrong choice of which team to go to next, which coach to align yourself with, a lot of things can change in the Copa America roster that we'll see next next summer. All right, his buddy at Leeds, Tyler Adams, who is still there as we speak, he is rumored to go to West Ham, Aston Villa, or Brighton, all teams in the Premier League, all well-respected teams as well in England. Um, Tyler Adams is kind of the one player that we saw as the player that needed to leave Leeds, and he's kind of been the, the quietest in terms of news around him. Um, so what do you think about the team's rumored, and wh- where do you see him going in the Premier League? I see him as being underrated wherever he goes. I think that Brighton's really a good landing spot. West Ham's got European competition would be a really good landing spot as well. Um, Villa, I think they're kind of set in their midfield right now. I don't think they really like need a starting midfielder. Um, so I'm not really high on them, but... You know, Brighton seems like it's a fire sale on the midfielders right now. So let's go ahead and bring Adams in, replace uh, some of that if production. If Caicedo leaves to Chelsea. Yeah. If Caicedo leaves to Chelsea, Alexi McAllister is also potentially leaving as well. So uh, if those two guys go, then yeah, you want to, I would want to bring in Adams. I think McAllister already got sold to Liverpool. Did he? I think I'm not that up to date on my non-American ago. transfers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, McAllister was, that was like July 1. Ah, okay, cool. Liverpool announcement. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So um, then, yeah, bring in Adams. That seems like a no-brainer move to me. But, you know, I do think Adams is incredibly underrated for what he does for a team and uh, how he's going to transform from Beer League side this next season. So a mid-table team that's sort of in that fight for a Europa League or a Conference League spot seems to be sort of a good landing spot for him. I know that all is quiet, all is quiet right now on the Tyler Adams front, but... I, I do think that the scouting departments of these Premier League squads agree with you, Tom. This is a very underrated and underutilized player that will get his move. So I know it's quiet. There's not a ton of swirl around him right now, but there's a lot of time to go. And he he is too good to stay in the championship with Leeds for next season. He will get a move. So don't worry. We will cover that in future episodes. All right. Malik Tillman, back from Rangers to Bayern. Bayern thinking about selling him. The rumored teams for him are Brighton, Brentford, and Leeds. So does he go to a great team in the Premier League or potentially a uh, promotion-chasing team in the championship? Malik Tillman had a great season with Rangers last season as kind of like a an attacking 10-slash-winger position. So what do you think of Malik Tillman's options? Does he go back to England? I mean, if he goes back to England, uh, that would not be a bad move for him. Uh, I think Leeds is not a horrible option as much as I don't want a player at Leeds. So, you know, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with Brentford. I don't think Brighton is his level. I just don't think he's going to be a consistent enough player at this point in his career to really shine at Brentford right now 
or at uh, Brighton right now. So yeah, I, I, I want him to really work on his consistency. And if to do that, he needs minutes in a better league than Scotland. So if that's the championship, if that's the premier league, that's great. I also wouldn't be mad about him taking a loan to a Bundesliga team for a year. I think that that would be, you know, do the Chris Richards thing, take a loan to a Bundesliga team, be a starter in the Bundesliga and see what that does for you. That would be a really good sort of option for him as well. Yeah. Do you think his, his talents are aligned with like a, a team that's great in transition, mm-hmm. right? Like a lot of his best goals and, and best production last season were Rangers in transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, can he get on the break quick? Can he get to the back post when, when someone else is dribbling from the other side? So I do agree with that. Like the Bundesliga is known as a, a league with a lot of teams that are great with transition. And it's a, a team where you need to think about or a league where you need to think about that a lot. Um, so I think that'd be great, but we'll see what Bayern allows him to do because Bayern kind of holds all the, the negotiating power, not just with Tillman, but in the Bundesliga as well. Um, all right, Tom, last rumor that we should talk about is Taylor Booth. And this is an interesting one, but kind of from really good sources as well. Taylor Booth is rumored to be uh, being chased by Manchester United for $13 million. What do you think of this rumor? This is wild. Like, I, I think that I saw they wanted him as a 10-2, which is not where he's been playing for uh, his club in the Netherlands right now, for Utrecht. So I don't know where this one comes from. I'm not sure I personally see it, but like if, if he's got going to make the move, yeah, go off, go for it. <laughs> let's just, let's see how this goes. But yeah, this is a wild rumor. Can you think of like other moves that players have made in this same, same kind of vision? Like just out of nowhere. Weston McKinney, historic clubs. Yeah, true. <laughs> that he was Even- <laughs> playing for everywhere for Schalke, and then all of a sudden, it's like, yeah, we're gonna bring McKenney into Juventus, and just sort of came out of nowhere. It was done. So, like, that was sort of the only comparison I can think of. Death to Barcelona, maybe. Ah, uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, some just some wild, huge moves that some of these young guys have made. That would sort of be right up there with it. Be the first American to play for Manchester United um, would be wild. If you are still listening or watching to this, I would love to know what you think of Taylor Booth to Manchester United. Let us know down below in the comments. And if you are listening on Spotify, there is a uh, a way to give us feedback. So make sure you do that as well. Um, tell us what you thought of this episode. All right, we're going to talk about two players now that are staying and have uh, committed themselves to the future of the teams that they are at. Anthony Robinson re-signed for Fulham. Uh, multi-year contract. We, we thought... Maybe he's going to go. Um, he only had one year left on that contract. So Anthony Robinson, back to Fulham, had a great season in the in the Premier League. They're looking to kind of get themselves back aligned as a mid-table team for the future. So what do you think of Jedi re-signing with Fulham? I'm all for it. I, I'm never going to turn down an American at Fulham, particularly not one who has been so good for them for so long. He's quickly going the Tim Ream route of becoming a club legend there, and I just I love to see it. Like, he was so good last season, and... He's been just such a reliable Premier League player every time he's been there. So let's keep the ball rolling. Talk about underrated with Tyler Adams. I mean, Jedi, Anthony Robinson at Fulham, along with Tim Ream. I feel like Tim Ream has gotten his plaudits. You know, yeah. he's gotten his flowers yeah. for this season, for this past season. But Jedi has quietly had almost a better season than Tim Ream did. And he's been our our starting left back like yeah. so consistently for the last few years. Not just that, he's an Iron Man. He just never stops running and never takes a minute off. He's just absurd with his work rate and his ability to stay healthy and his ability to play every single minute you ask him to. And quietly had a top ten season as for left backs in the Premier League, if not a top five. Like he was really, really good last season in the Premier League and yeah. just flew under the radar. Now on to the probably a little more interesting commitment here. Serginho Dest has uh, talked about him committing back to Barcelona. Xavi, the coach, even has talked about him giving him a fresh start. Um, Dest was on the record today talking about how it's really all up to him and himself and him approaching practice and friendlies. I know we've been burned before. You're shaking your head, Tom. What what are you feeling at this moment for Dest and Barcelona? Serginho Dest just continues to be an enigma of a human being, and I really don't understand him. <laughs> it wasn't just the uh, fake 
Chicago Bulls outfit for the messy. No, I mean, if you follow him on social media, he's doing things like spending a week at a bio park in Doha or he just <laughs> after Nations League rented of a car and drove by himself all the way across the US. And like, it just just a strange he's a weird dude. He's a weird dude. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> He's he's a kind of a national treasure. He's just sort of by himself doing Serginho Dest things while everything out of the world just sort of goes around him. And yeah, no, this is just right up there with just Serginho Dest doing Serginho Dest things. He, you know, fails at Barcelona, goes to Milan, fails there, and somehow is like, yeah, I'm just going to go back and try and succeed at Barcelona again. Why not? And, you know, go off, Serge. I believe in you. Make it happen. <laughs> He, he definitely, like, smoked something in the Amazon rainforest and had an epiphany that he can really make it at Barcelona. <laughs> I hope he does. I really do. He's really entertaining to watch and follow along with his career. And, yeah, this is just the next step in a career that just makes zero sense at all, but somehow works for him as a person. So, <laughs> yeah. And he, and he always shows up for yeah. the U.S. Yeah. No, he's so good for the U.S. Someone eventually is going to pay him to play soccer. I don't know who it is. I don't know if it's Barcelona. But if Barcelona wants to keep paying him to play soccer, sure. I just want someone to keep paying to play soccer. There's been way too many Instagram vo- photos of him training alone in a basement gym for a club somewhere in the world. So let's release the Serginho. Yeah. Let's we say let's get him some minutes. If that Barcelona is going to do it, great. If not, there's till September 1st for him to make that move. So. Sure, Serge. Ha- have have fun in Barcelona for a while. <laughs> we have made it to the end of the marathon of players that are confirmed, players that are rumored, and players that are staying. Now, Tom, speaking of paying someone to play soccer, there are a few names still that we haven't really heard about any moves, but we know that they're going to be, like, if we had our way as USMNT fans, would be at the top of the transfer list. I'm thinking someone like Zach Steffen or maybe Austin Trusty. So give me the list for you of who needs a move, but we haven't really heard about or talked about yet. Yeah, so Austin Trusty was on loan from Arsenal last season. I think he needs a loan. Um, we have our Venezia boys who definitely need to get out. Uh, Busio showed some of the Gold Cup. Maybe he gets a move. Tanner Tessman was very good for Venezia this year. Maybe he gets a move. Ethan Horvath and Zach Steffen both need new loan moves. Um, and then I really want to talk briefly about the MLS striker contingent, who I think uh, have had lots of rumors surrounding them throughout the Gold Cup. Uh, Brandon Vasquez and Jesus Ferreira, both in very different situations. I think both looking to make a move in the next six months or so. And the MLS transfer window is open right now. The European transfer windows are open right now. Do you think it's time for Vasquez and Ferreira to move? I think it's time for both of them to move, but I think their situations, while vastly different, are going to stop them from making a move this transfer window. I think for Jesus Ferreira, we're talking about someone that is on massive wages for Major League Soccer as a designated player. And I don't know if a European club will pay him those wages and pay a transfer fee to bring him over. I also think for Brandon Vasquez, it's a slightly different situation, but FC Cincinnati is in the lead spot in the Eastern Conference. Vasquez is pretty critical, like (laughs) really not droppable from that starting 11. And if they want any chance at getting that first spot and potentially chasing the LAFCs or crazily like the St. Louis's of the world for the supporter shield this season, they really need to retain Brandon Vasquez and not sell him, but confirmed reports that he's being chased by Bundesliga clubs that are offering, you know, five to 10 million for his services. That's, that's a good fee for Vasquez, I think. And the, the level that MLS is at, so yeah, while while vastly different in their situations and what's probably going to stop them from moving over, I think it's probably more likely that a team comes in, offers, I don't know, 12, 15 million for Vasquez and really forces the hand of FC Cincinnati to get rid of him. Whereas I feel like while teams might want Jesus Ferreira, it's going to be a lot harder of a sell to their payroll to bring him on. Yeah. No, I think both of those guys are in very tough situations right now, but both need their moves. I'm looking at both of them, I think, in the winter window to definitely move if they don't get one this one. With Cincinnati chasing the points record right now and having just sold Brenner, I don't think Vasquez gets a move. I think there's an outside shot that Ferreira does. He basically, Dallas is not going to win an MLS Cup. I think if one gets a move, it's more likely to be Ferreira than Vasquez. I think that there's also a third MLS player who's in a similar boat that could go this summer, and that's Miles Robinson. 
Um, Atlanta only has six months left on his contract. He can sign a pre-contract now with any team in Europe that he wants to. Um, or Atlanta can try and get some value for him right now before he leaves on a free transfer at the end of the season. So um, He's also running out of time age-wise yes. to make the move to Europe. Yeah, he's in the same he's the same age as Brandon Vasquez. It's sort of that time where they've got to make their moves now. I think that both of them go in the next six months. And I think Miles has basically already mentally checked out of Atlanta. I don't really think that he wants to be there anymore. I don't. Yeah. I think Atlanta knows that. So it will be very interesting to watch that one develop too. All right. Wonderful episode. It was fun talking through these transfers. The women's national team have their first World Cup match on Friday of this week. That's wild. 9 p.m. Eastern time. And Tom, we're at the end of the transfer special episode. What do you have to say to the people? Oh, um, stay tuned for what's going to be a really fun club season. I mean, we've been watching this play out for a while now. We took a B team to the Gold Cup with the hopes that we were going to get some really big moves. We've already seen a bunch of them. We're going to get even more. It's it's just going to be a really fun ride for this next club season. I'm so excited for this Women's World Cup, too. It's going to be a blast. Chasing that fifth star for the women's team. I can't wait to watch it all unfold here in the next few weeks. Chasing the three-peat as well, something that's never been done on the men's or women's side. And we have a lot of competition. I'm really happy to see the Women's World Cup move to 32 teams now as well. We have teams that are competing against us every single tournament, every single match. And uh, we have one of them in our in our group as well. So really exciting to see. All right, my last word is thanks so much for watching. Make sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel. Give us a five-star rating if you are listening to this wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next time on It's Called Soccer in a few days to talk about the women's national team going for their three-peat back-to-back-to-back World Cup victory. Peace. See you guys.